This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. War requires a lot from a soldier. Intuition, dedication, and resourcefulness. From medic to MacGyver, a soldier's role can change from one moment to the next, and oftentimes the only tools they have to work with are the objects on their person at the time. You might not think you could patch up a wound with only a rifle, a knife, and some leaves you found on the ground, but when you're under enemy fire, you find a way. And the United States military had to find a way when they ran afoul of the Chinese army during the Korean War. The Qingjin Mountain Reservoir, known by American forces as the Chosin Reservoir, became a hotbed of action during the Chinese Second Offensive of 1950. The war appeared to be over as UN forces advanced into North Korea in order to unite the two sides. But reunification wasn't going to happen if the People's Republic of China had anything to say about it. 120,000 Chinese soldiers infiltrated North Korea in an effort to stop the UN's advancement. They reached the reservoir first, while a special group of United States soldiers known as the X Corps approached from the coast. I know they sound like characters out of a Marvel comic book, but trust me, they were real superheroes. 15,000 men from the Marines and the U.S. Army were ready to end the war once and for all, and bring stability to the region. You might be wondering, why only 15,000 if the Chinese had deployed eight times that amount into the area? And that's because the United States forces had no idea the Chinese Army was waiting for them. They snuck in and fortified their position, waiting for the Americans to arrive. The X-Corps held their own for over two weeks against the Chinese military, but the harsh terrain and brutal fighting had left them all but defeated. Stuck in freezing temperatures and outgunned, the X-Corps, the best of the best, were running out. Out of ammo, out of food, and out of time. They were surrounded. The enemy was closing in on thousands of U.S. soldiers, many of whom had nothing to defend themselves with except broken guns and equally broken spirits. Worst of all, the mortar shells they used to beat back the Chinese forces had run dry, so they called in for an airdrop. Tootsie Rolls, they called them. It sounds silly, but code names like that were necessary to prevent the other side from knowing what was coming in case someone happened to be listening in. Unfortunately, whoever took the airdrop order didn't understand the code name. The X-Corps got their supplies. Boxes and boxes of what they thought were mortar shells ready to launch. What they received, however, was far less explosive. Their pleas for Tootsie Rolls had gotten them exactly what they'd asked for. Tootsie Rolls. Little chocolate candies wrapped up in wax paper. This might have signaled the end for the U.S. forces, 
now without an escape plan and their chances of survival dwindling. After all, you can't win a war with chocolate as your only supply. Unless you're the X-Corps. The men were quickly revitalized by the sugar rush bestowed upon them from overhead, and they quickly realized that their little candies, although hardened by the reservoir's freezing winds, became soft and pliable when warmed up in their mouths. They chewed them into a putty-like substance, which they then spread over the holes in their weapons, letting the wind freeze them in place. With their bellies full and their guns back in action, the X-Corps were once again a formidable threat. They managed to fight back just enough to get out of enemy territory and make their way to the nearest coast where they could regroup. It sounds almost too strange to be true. The idea that a simple chocolate candy saved the lives of so many American soldiers in Korea. But as it turns out, Tootsie Rolls made as good a patching material as they did a candy. Now that I think about it, it's a good thing they didn't call in for an airdrop of lifesavers. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Lewis was born in Plymouth, England, to parents who dedicated their lives to helping others. His father was a surgeon in the Royal Navy, and his mother worked as a nurse in Queen Alexandra's Royal Naval Nursing Service. Lewis learned from a young age that the best use of anyone's gifts was to use them in service of others. The family moved to South Africa when Lewis was 10, and that was where he found his true love, the water. Lewis hadn't had a real swimming lesson until late in high school, but it didn't take long for him to outpace the other students. A month after his first lesson, he swam 4.3 miles to Robben Island off the coast of Cape Town. That's the same island where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for many years. And that gave Lewis an idea about what he would attempt next. Well, after he finished his education, at least, 
Lewis took a break from his daring nautical trials and went to college, studying law at the University of Cape Town before eventually returning to England to practice maritime law. It seemed no matter where he went, he always managed to stay close to the water. Six years later, though, it was time to dive back in, so to speak, but he did not ease into things slowly. He swam across the English Channel in 14 and a half hours, and then moved on to colder, harsher challenges around the world. And maybe you've noticed, but Lewis just couldn't sit still. He needed to push himself with each swim. Farther, faster, longer. Lewis set a number of records along the way, becoming the first swimmer to swim around the Cape Peninsula, the southernmost point of Africa, and the Cape of Good Hope, the northernmost point in Europe. He even swam the length of the Sonjafjord, the longest of Norway's fjords at 127 miles. It took him 21 days to do it. Possibly his greatest feat came in achieving the Holy Grail of swimming by completing a long-distance swim in all five of the world's oceans, four of which were accomplished over the course of only two years. Lewis was an unstoppable force, and his achievements gained him a bit of notoriety. Notoriety that he used to bring awareness to environmental issues all over the world, namely climate change. In fact, many of his record swims since then were done in an effort to bring awareness to the effects of climate change on our oceans, seas, and glaciers, including one such feat in a glacial lake on Mount Everest. To swim in such a frigid environment, most people would have needed a special wetsuit or equipment to regulate their body temperature. But there was something different about Lewis something almost superhuman. A professor from the University of Cape Town measured Lewis's body temperature and found something astonishing. Lewis could actually increase his core body temperature by two degrees just before a swim in cold waters, a phenomenon he called anticipatory thermogenesis. No one else on Earth has been able to do it. All of this, compounded with his long-distance swims in all seven seas, has cemented Lewis Pugh as an icon of environmental change. His activism has sparked actual legislation in the UK as well. It all happened in 2006 when Lewis decided to swim the length of the Thames River. Yeah, all 215 miles of it. All to raise awareness of the growing drought across England as a result of global warming. Lewis dove into the water and took off, a human torpedo on a mission. But he had just one stop to make first. He jumped out of the river and took a quick detour to 10 Downing Street, the home of the Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair. The two had a brief chat before Lewis took his leave back to the frigid Thames to complete his journey. It might have been this Herculean trial that convinced the Prime Minister. After all, 215 miles is a long way to swim to prove a point. Or it might have been something he said to convince him to take action. But one thing is certain. Not long after Lewis's visit to 10 Downing Street, Tony Blair introduced to Parliament what is now known as the Climate Change Act of 2008. Lewis Pugh is still swimming for environmental causes today, one body of water at a time. His efforts are working, too. Little by little, the awareness he's raising is helping clean up our oceans and rivers so future generations might enjoy them. Sometimes, if you want to make a change, you just have to dive right in. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. 
This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.